let's again ask God to bless us as we turn to his word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we pray in your mercy that as we listen to your word, you will grant me to teach it faithfully and truthfully, and each of us would know its good work in our lives, helping us trust Jesus and equipping us through its teaching, rebuke, correction and training to live that life of doing good that brings you honour and praise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, employing uh, pastors represents the single biggest recurring item of expenditure by congregations. In a sense, your single biggest investment in ministry. Uh, a pastor in our congregation costs anywhere between eighty to $92,000, depending on the man's allowance. I, I tried to add up the figures. A combination of stipend, NCB, super, long service leave levy and housing. So it's only rational, at least economically rational, for a congregation to ask, how can we get the best return on our investment? How can we keep our pastors productive and fruitful? How can we get the most out of them? Now, it's a reasonable question, but the answer may surprise you. You know, if the management of many organisations, perhaps ones you're familiar with, were asked that question, their minds would probably run to detailed job descriptions, clearly measurable KPIs, regular employee reviews so they could monitor and promote employee productivity, perhaps mixed in with a little bit of in-service training and team-building exercises or whatever. And some, of course, might like to introduce those practices to churches. Uh, but let me say it is not going to work. Uh, for a start, called pastors are not congregational employees. They're set apart for the work in the congregation by the presbytery, which is the body that oversees their work. But more importantly, what would you measure? I suppose superficial things, things that don't really matter, could be measured you know, the number of visits, but not their quality or timeliness, the amount of words written, but not their fruitfulness, meetings attended. The things that matter are either unmeasurable, intangible, or are not in the pastor's power. So the pastor's to be an example. So would a good KPI be that he's 30% more patient this year, or he gets a bonus if he can demonstrate a 10% increase in humility. That'd be good. And the goal of his work is the growth to maturity of the flock, and that the gospel words heard and believed, and these are the work of the Spirit. And over what time frame would these things be measured? The seed can lie in the ground for a long time before it bears fruit, and initial responses, as in the parable of the sower, can be deceiving. So skip the KPIs. There is a much more effective way to keep your pastor going and growing in fruitfulness. Something much more ordinary, for which you don't need training in HR. Something within the grasp of all of us. Something we should be practising with all. And it's encouragement. Encouragement. Pastors flourish like us all with encouragement, with being encouraged to live a godly life, to persevere in trusting the Lord Jesus 
and to continue faithfully in the ministry entrusted to them of teaching and shepherding the Lord Jesus' flock. But how specifically can we encourage pastors in both their life and ministry? Well, let me suggest three ways from Scripture you can encourage your pastor and, again, test all things. But the three ways are these. Firstly, practice being encouraging in all your relationships, being an encouraging person. Secondly, listen to your pastors. And thirdly, and most controversially, but you heard it in Hebrews 13, obeying them as they exercise their role in the congregation. So first, encouraging one another. You will encourage your pastors by being an encouraging person. An encourager not just of pastors but of all by developing what you might call a habit of encouragement. Encouraging one another is something we are all called to do. So Paul speaks to the Thessalonian believers of living ready for our Lord's return and says, therefore, encourage one another up, one another and build each other up as you're already doing. And the author of Hebrews, encourage each other daily while it's still called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. It's by encouraging each other to persevering faith, to live mindful of the truth of the gospel, that we help each other come to what is promised us. And encouraging each other is part of the purpose and the good of meeting regularly. Don't neglect, says the author of Hebrews, to gather together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching. God says through his apostle to us, let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Each of us is to please his neighbour for his good, to build him up. Encouraging and building each other up in the faith, in persevering and following Jesus is what we all should be seeking to do. But how can I encourage others? Well, one of the best ways to answer that question is by thinking about what's encouraged you. But again, let me give you three headings, three ways of encouraging. Just by showing up, oh, by what we do for others and by the thoughtful words we speak. We encourage each other just by showing up. Now, this plainly includes showing up at our congregational gatherings on Sunday. That lets your brothers and sisters know you too want to keep growing and persevering as a follower of Jesus, and that's encouraging. But it is not just on Sunday, though, of course, it's particularly encouraging for your pastors to see you here because preaching to an empty church is really quite a discouraging experience, right? But you can encourage others powerfully just by showing up at growth groups at a missions breakfast, at the coming Sunday school showcase next Sunday. You know, that communicates interest in what your brothers and sisters are doing and commitment to one another. Showing up is powerfully encouraging. And if you're not in the habit of showing up, consider Proverbs 18.1, for it too is the word of God. One who isolates himself pursues selfish desires. He rebels against all sound wisdom. Worth thinking about, isn't it? And yes, we can encourage by what we 
do, by serving others in love as we're called to. Loving service encourages all around. It encourages those who benefit directly from that service. For example, the mums and bubs ministries are encouraged by those, often too, sometimes more, who come in every week and help them by cleaning after their activities. I'm not naming them, uh, though they probably deserve to be known, but they'd probably be embarrassed. But they come every week. But seeing that thoughtful, kind service of their sisters also encourages the pastor and others who witness it. Service that encourages those who receive it and those who witness it is actually seen in Scripture. Paul was a man who welcomed encouragement. And in 2 Corinthians 7, he's writing to the Corinthians of the comfort or encouragement. It's the same Greek word that's translated sometimes comfort, sometimes encouragement. He's writing of the encouragement he received from hearing of their repentance in response to a previous letter. But he also wrote, The God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the arrival of Titus and not only by his arrival, but also by the comfort, the encouragement he received from you. And then he says in verse 13, for this reason we have been comforted in addition to our own comfort. We rejoiced even more over the joy Titus had because his spirit was refreshed by all of you. See that Paul was encouraged by the encouragement Titus had received from the Corinthians. And so I and all your pastors are powerfully encouraged by the humble, thoughtful service that I see every week and which encourages those who receive it, by those who serve on all our teams, welcoming, crash, Sunday school, morning and afternoon, tea cleaning, I'm sure I've forgotten some, especially at 11 and 5, where the cleaners stay after all else have left just to make sure the building is ready for those who are will use the building next. Being served is encouraging, isn't it? And watching others serve freely and cheerfully, not just on Sundays but during the week, is powerfully encouraging for pastors. Why? Because it speaks of a love of Jesus, seen in a love of his people, of lives changed by the gospel that's brought them to know Jesus' love and kindness for themselves so that, like their Lord, they'll pay a cost, time and inconvenience to build up the body of Christ to care for their brothers and sisters. And love of Jesus is what we aim for in all our ministry and what we want to see grow in all of us. We encourage by showing up, we encourage by loving service and we can encourage with our words. Proverbs has a lot to say about the power of words to do good. Anxiety in a person's heart weighs it down, but a good word cheers it up. Oh, there's one who speaks rashly like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. A person takes joy in giving an answer and a timely word. How good that is. Good words, words spoken at the right time, words that contain Good news, words that comfort, do good. And sometimes it's just a word that lets someone know that you've seen their work and are thankful for it. Sometimes it's a word that lets someone know that you've seen their distress and you care. 
But Christian encouragement also points to the Lord Jesus, to his faithfulness, his presence with his people, his love, the certainty of his return when all things will be made right. By pointing to his sure promises, his effective death for sin, his present authority, you can encourage each other to say no to sin, to persevere in godliness, bring comfort in grief, confidence in perplexity. Be an encourager. Encourage all who serve, your Sunday school teachers, those cleaning, serving you at morning tea, for example. Encourage one another in the temptations and griefs and anxieties we all experience. And you often know each other better than the pastors know you. And you are called to encourage. And you're encouraging each other. Being an encouraging person is powerfully encouraging for your pastors. But you might ask, how do I become an encouraging person? Now, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked it, right? As I've said, actually, firstly, by thinking about what you find encouraging and doing to others as you would have others do to you. But Scripture says we speak out of the abundance of our hearts. So let me suggest a way your heart can be full of encouragement and overflow with encouragement to others. And it says, meditate on the Scriptures. For Paul says in Romans 15 that the Scriptures give encouragement. Know God's truth especially the gospel, its reality that you are forgiven, adopted by the living God as his child, loved, have a sure hope, and let that truth make you thankful for his love and content because you know you are secure in Christ. For thankful and content people are not anxiously self-concerned. They have more time and more headspace to think of others and of what might encourage them. And, of course, they want to love those Jesus loves. And being thankful and content not only helps you be an encourager, it stops you from being the opposite of the encourager, the grumbling critic. That's a person who's always discontent and finds the cause of their discontent in others in the way others have failed or treated them, in the other person's falling short in what they do, whether it's in their teaching or thoughtfulness or awareness. Grumbling is not good for anyone. And grumbling, even if it comes from a deep well of personal unhappiness with real causes, is always ultimately against God. The leadership he has provided, the fellowship he has made you a part of, the family he has given you. If you're a believer, grumbling betrays a lack of trust in our Lord's sovereign care and love for you. The care and love he's shown in giving his son for you and promising to work all things for your good and to bring you to glory. Now such grumbling is forbidden and it should be repented of. Don't grumble as some of them did, says Paul to the Corinthians. And grumbling, says James, betrays a pride that sits in judgment on others. 
that seeks to sit in the place of God, which is a very dangerous practice. Don't criticise one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. And if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law to be judged, but there is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge your neighbour? That kind of critical grumbling is powerfully discouraging for it seeks to displace Jesus as the one where to please in favour of the grumbler. And because it comes from a heart that's discontent in itself, it can never be satisfied by what others do. And so never being able to please the grumbler, people give up trying. Avoid them if they can, which is never great for congregational life. And if they can't, like children of a critical parent, they grow both distant and discouraged. Be an encourager, not a grumbler in all your dealings with your brothers and sisters and you will encourage your pastors. But there are particular ways you can encourage your pastor and the first of these is by listening. As we saw from scripture last week, teaching is the focus of a pastor's work, a task that consumes many hours in preparation. So encouraging them in this work will be a major benefit to the pastor and to you. You see, some people see encouraging the pastor in their preaching as an invitation to shape them to become more like the kind of preacher they want, more like their favourite, you know, whether it's Spurgeon or Keller or Stott. You know, now let me say that is not likely to be encouraging for your pastor. Or your preacher, who almost certainly, and I've had years to demonstrate it, does not have the gifts of a Spurgeon or a Keller or Stott. No, that's not encouraging. The encouragement I'm speaking of is encouragement to persevere in labouring to understand the text, to teach it clearly, to be faithful to all it says, and to illustrate application helpfully. Now, how do you give that encouragement? Well, it's not by writing detailed critiques every week, a sermon actually. It's actually by being an engaged listener, an engaged listener. And that's something actually we're all called to do when we're listening to God's word. The Lord Jesus puts the responsibility on the listener for how they hear. When he finishes the parables, he says, let anyone who has ears listen. And he makes it plain that you get out what you put in, in your listening. Mark 4, he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you and more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given and whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. You get out what you put in as you listen. And in Revelation, the Spirit, remember, puts responsibility on the hearers for how they engage with the Spirit-given word. The refrain of the seven letters to the churches of Asia is, let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The Lord expects us to be engaged listeners of his word when it is read and taught. Now, I know putting the responsibility on you for how you listen goes against the spirit of our age. 
You see, we expect to be catered to in what we hear, to be sovereign over it. We don't like something or it seems too hard to understand. We change channels, move on to another YouTube clip. And because those content producers want you to listen so that they can make money from you, all that communication is tailored to your expectations and interests, to what you find easy. Our society actually cultivates what Paul calls itching ears when he warns Timothy that the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. We have to recognise the way our culture shapes our listening and resist it for our own good. Only listening to people who scratch your itch, speak to you about what you want to hear in the way you want to hear it will damage your relationship with Jesus. It will lead you astray. You see, the word of God, scripture, deserves your attention. It doesn't have to earn it, right? It doesn't have to win it. It deserves your attention. And, of course, that conviction may explain what some might see as the many faults of my preaching, okay? But that's fundamental. I can't get over the fact that the living God has spoken to us, that the scriptures are the word of the living God, our creator, sustainer, judge and saviour, a light in our darkness. And I think if he has bothered to speak to us, it must be important. And knowing and understanding this word must be important. More important actually than anything because this word is life to us. And so worth working at, worth giving time to in our lives and in our meeting. And it actually means that gathering as we do to listen to the word of the living God is never ordinary. And so you should come prepared to hear God. Come prepared to be an engaged listener. One who listens to understand what the scripture says and to test that understanding against scripture. One who listens to do, asking yourself what the Lord expects you to change in your thinking and acting as a result of hearing his word. One who listens expectantly expecting the teaching of God's word to do what it's given for, to help you mature and equip you to serve, to help you trust the Lord Jesus for salvation, to teach, rebuke, correct and train you in righteousness. Be an engaged listener, listening to understand, to do, expecting God's word to do its work in your life and you'll encourage your pastor. And recognise if you come to church and God's word is opened and you get nothing out of it, the fault may lie with you. Now, I might, of course, be having a particularly bad day and be particularly incoherent, right? But that's a possibility. But it might be that you've arrived tired, maybe for reasons outside your control, like sick children, or maybe from indiscipline, or you're distracted, Or you haven't done those things that will help you be the engaged listener the Lord expects when his word is opened. You haven't prayed about what you hear. You haven't read it beforehand. 
Or, or you're not doing those things in the meeting that help you concentrate, like keep the Bible open or take notes. Or you haven't been praying for your preacher, praying for his clarity, understanding, faithfulness. Come ready to hear the word of the living God, ready to be an engaged listener. But, of course, preachers can improve. And you can encourage a preacher to keep working at their teaching by being that engaged listener. You know, when someone comes to a preacher with questions like, you said the passage means this, I can't quite see it, can you explain it further? Or, I'd read that passage many times and not seen that, thanks. Or with comments like, it was encouraging to be reminded of just how great the Lord Jesus is, or, well, that was hard to listen, but I see... It there in God's word and I needed the reminder. When you come with comments like that, preachers are encouraged in their work. When we hear that you've been talking about what was taught over morning tea, helping each other apply it or taking encouragement from it, we're encouraged. Why? Because it shows you're an engaged listener and the work done in making God's word clear is useful to the Lord's people, and that is reason enough for us to keep working at it. Now, because I realise that talking about encouraging pastors by making you responsible to be an active listener can sound, you know, just a little needy and defensive, right? Uh, I am not expecting the kind souls amongst you to spend the rest of this talk thinking of encouraging things to say to me at the end. Uh, Although I'm always happy to answer questions or provide further justification for what I say. Separate what I say from our relationship. Think about yourself. Ask yourself, do I come marvelling that the living God has spoken and we can hear it together, expecting it to do God's work in my life? Oh, and think about the next preacher. How can I encourage him to keep serving me by teaching the word of the living God faithfully? How can I get the most out of his labours? Now, I'm saying it's by being an engaged listener. Is that true? Is that something the Lord expects of you, something you can work at? So be an encourager, be an engaged listener. And the third way of encouraging your pastors is more controversial, but actually something Scripture says clearly. Obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give account, so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. And you hear that and you go, whoa, in a society that's suspicious of all authority and so aware of the potential for the controlling and abusive use of authority, especially in church leaders, all your alarm bells go off, don't they? For good reason. For we know excessive respect for church authorities has stopped awful sins being exposed and that even good goals like growing a church can lead to some very controlling forms of leadership as if pastors are commanders of SAS troopers and not shepherds of Jesus' sheep, right? So so two introductory comments. (coughs) Firstly, Scripture knows and condemns abusive leaders. And there are lots of examples, and I've given details in the transcript, you know, Diotrephes, the false apostles, the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Uh, The point is that Scripture knows abusive leadership, exposes it, 
consistently condemns it and warns us not to be taken in by it. Scripture will be your guard against abusive leadership because it shows us our Lord Jesus who didn't come to be served but to serve and give his life for many. But the second introductory comment that the author of scriptures gives this is that the author of Hebrews gives this instruction knowing that he's speaking to a people who have had models of good leadership. Remember, he started this section by saying, remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. The leaders he's speaking of in verse 17, that our verse, are their successes. And so people whose lives and service are judged against that standard that already exists of tested faithful leadership. But even so, obey your leaders and submit to them still causes us to pause, doesn't it? So let's think about what's being called for and then the reality, scope and usefulness of leaders with authority in Christian congregations. See, what's looked for is an inner attitude not reluctant or mechanical obedience. Uh, the sense is a bit more depend on, put trust in these leaders, an obedience that comes from persuasion and so dependent on the preaching of the word. But it is still a real authority. Of course, a delegated authority given for a purpose. That's explicit here. They keep watch over your souls as those who will give account. These leaders are servants of the Lord Jesus who are called, as you heard in Hebrews 13, the great shepherd. They are under shepherds who give account to him. And that delegation and accountability gives the scope and limits of the authority of church leaders. Jesus is the boss and all these leaders do must be in conformity to his word. And so their authority exists to promote the obedience of faith, to safeguard the gospel, which is the source of faith, and to call for conformity to Jesus' commands. You can see examples of the use of this authority in the book of Hebrews itself, in the kind of things the author calls for from his hearers. And so I'll just give you a few examples. He often calls for his hearers to be vigilant, to pay attention, to attend to their own growth in the faith. We must pay attention all the more to what we've heard, make every effort to enter that rest. Oh, yes, and he calls them to live consistent with the truth of the gospel, to take responsibility to help each other persevere. Hebrews 10, he says, draw near with a true heart, hold on to the confession without wavering. Oh, Think about how you can provoke to love and good deeds, encouraging one another. And he calls on them to turn for sin from sin and keep their eyes on the example and victory of the Lord Jesus. Lay aside every hindrance of sin that so easily ensnares. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, 
keeping our eyes on Jesus. And yes, he calls them to avoid false teaching. Don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings. Now, these commands are not generalisations or platitudes. They are life-giving instructions that the author expects his hearers to apply to themselves. And they show what the authority of Christian leaders is used for. The promotion of persevering faith in and obedience to the Lord Jesus based on a firm grasp of who he is and what he has done, which is the, the, the main body of the book of Hebrews teaching. Now, how might pastors today use their authority to promote that persevering faith and obedience? Let me give you some examples. Perhaps by telling you you mustn't marry a non-Christian, so don't go out with one. should be listened to. Or reminding you to keep meeting with other believers, urging you to organise your time, the structure of your life, your work, your sport, to be in the gathering so that you can encourage and be encouraged. Oh, blokes calling on you to love your wife and perhaps rebuking the way you talk to and of her. Oh, telling you to have nothing to do with some false teaching, you know, whether it's prosperity gospel or something else. All of these promote persevering faith in and obedience to the Lord Jesus and should be obeyed. But there are ways pastors can overstep the mark that fall outside the scope of their authority. So let me give you some examples of that because actually you should push back against it, right? We're always keen as pastors and tell you because Scripture does to serve in love. And we might even point out some ways you could serve. But that doesn't mean you should do it. You know the other demands on your life, your energy. So think about it prayerfully. But you shouldn't do it just because it's someone else's good idea for you, even if that someone else is a pastor. Only if the Lord Jesus convicts you it's the right thing to do at that time should you do it. You have to be free to say no. Another example, a pastor telling you how much you ought to give. Now, we will encourage you to be generous, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. But you know all the other demands on your money, and the Lord gave it to you, not to the pastor or to the church. And you should use it as the Lord directs in good conscience. Or another one, telling you how to vote which is a way, of course, for pastors to gain influence in civic life, worldly power, you know, if they can bring a block of voters. But that falls outside the teaching of Scripture. Yes, it encourages believers to love and justice and righteousness, but you'll have to judge then what party it suggests you vote for in this imperfect world. Oh, and plainly anything that's suggested that disobeys the Lord Jesus speaking in Scripture like sexual immorality or deceit is to be rejected even if it's encouraged by a pastor. It has limits. But this authority is actually useful. When you consider the examples of the right use of this authority, hopefully you can start to see its usefulness. Because we can all be very self-deceived or confused by our desires. It's helpful to have a clear word that stops us straying from obedience to Jesus. 
Oh, we may lack the knowledge or the experience to discern error. And it's helpful to be warned off lies that will separate you from the Lord Jesus. The usefulness of the authority of pastoral leadership is the usefulness of scripture applied to our lives in our context. The usefulness of being pointed to Jesus as saviour. The usefulness of being taught, rebuked, corrected and trained. And obeying your leaders helps with all that and it can preserve unity and common-mindedness either by encouraging reconciliation with someone with whom you've fallen out or curbing an unhelpful preoccupation someone might have by keeping the gospel the main thing, always the main thing in our congregational life. (coughs) Pastoral authority is useful to congregations and scripture calls us to obey our leaders since they're being entrusted by the Lord Jesus with the protection and nurture of your life as a follower of Jesus and they will give account to him for it. That's the leader's reality, isn't it? Obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. You see, you can help your leaders do it either with joy or grief, their task of keeping watch over your soul, depending on whether you heed this instruction, on whether you do obey or not, and on whether when you obey it's with reluctance and resentment or cheerfully. And you, says the author, have an interest in helping them do their work with joy and not with groaning, with grief. Now, to see uh, why that's the case, why you have an interest in helping them do it with joy and not with grief, let's think about the effects of joy and grief. As Proverbs tells us, joy sustains, grief saps the energy and wears us down. A joyful heart makes cheerful, but a sad heart produces a broken spirit. A joyful heart's good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? A pastor worn down with grief, sapped of energy by hitting his head against the brick wall of your reluctance to do what scripture says, is no advantage to you. He'll become reluctant to keep exposing himself to that discouragement. Withdraw, become indifferent. And in the words of a very faithful pastor, Peter Adam, become disheartened and bad-tempered. And who wants a grumpy pastor? Won't be much help to you in sustaining your Christian life. But a pastor who's encouraged by his interactions with you because you listen, Consider what he says and do it because it's the teaching of Christ your Saviour. He will have joy. Joy at your persevering faith in Jesus, in your fruitfulness of life, in your love of Jesus that makes you glad to do what Jesus says. And that joy will sustain him in seeking to protect and nurture you, in being an example to you. Sustain him in working hard at studying God's word, preparing to teach and in seeking you out for the conversations that need to be had. And that really is to your profit. 
You'll be getting the most out of your pastor then and it will be to your eternal advantage as he gives himself to the work the chief shepherd, your Lord Jesus, has entrusted to him for your protection, growth and perseverance. Now, I hope you realise these talks are not about me and my experience in this congregation. Uh, The years I've had here, let me say, are plainly testimony to the encouragement I've received. That's one of the things that's kept me going. Of course, it's had its moments, like COVID. But I found your readiness to hear God's word taught, your service and encouragement of one another, and your desire to see others saved and praising Jesus most encouraging over the years. I'm actually giving these talks so that you will keep doing that, keep encouraging, keep listening, keep obeying the Lord's word, not giving up. Resolve to keep encouraging your pastors for your profit. It's in your interest that the other pastors and the next senior pastors have the same experience that I have had. And that is in your power. And it'll be for your good and and good for the reputation of the Lord Jesus as we together proclaim him as Lord and persevere in following him, encouraging each other to love and doing good and welcoming the teaching, rebuking, correcting and training that God's word brings and equips us all for every good work that our Lord would have us do. So keep encouraging, keep listening and keep obeying your pastor as he brings the Lord's word to you and you will get the most out of your pastors. Let's pray. Our gracious uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we do thank you for our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. He was your eternal Son, uh, through whom and for whom all things were made. And yet he poured himself out, humbling himself, to seek our good, to serve us in dying for us on the cross. We thank you that you have raised him from the dead and given him all authority. We thank you that he continues to save and he continues to give his gifts to humanity. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. And we thank you that he is now the example for all of us, loving us by serving us. Uh, We pray all our leaders will grow in Christ-likeness, whether that's growth group leaders, Sunday school leaders or our pastors. We would all become more like him. And our Father, we pray for all of us that knowing his love for us, we would all, be sustained in encouraging one another, in listening expectantly to his word that he gives us for our good and in making use of the leadership he has given to help us come to all that he has promised. We ask this in Jesus. Amen.